morning. I'm so stoked to be here. I have uh, been waiting for the last two months, really excited about coming back uh, to St. Louis and hanging out with you. It just feels like home to come back here and see uh, folks who have supported us and cared for us and loved us. Um, I can't tell you how thrilled I am to be here. You are, you're the most generous church I know of. Um, first of all, the way you've supported us in Boulder, but it really began back before uh, we left to go to Boulder. As Tom said, uh, for some crazy reason, while I was in seminary, uh, hired me to lead the, uh, the church plant in Webster, which makes no sense whatsoever. It survived, which is amazing. It's there uh, with me having uh, been there for about a year and a half. And uh, Deb is here this morning. She is thrilled to be here as well. We came to St. Louis for, uh, for seminary. And, uh, you know, we came to, to here to um, Green Tree one Sunday, and um, we heard that you guys were going to plant churches. And we said, let's be a part of that, because we thought that's what we wanted to do. And so we got to be a part of the church plant over in Webster. And then um, as we moved along through seminary, realized we wanted to go somewhere and plant a church. And we chose Boulder, Colorado. And Green Tree said, we want to support you. We want to send you. Um, So we went to Boulder um, four years and three months ago and uh, started All Souls Church of Boulder. We've been worshiping about two and a half months And I want you to know that um, there are children in Boulder that are being tutored right now because of Green Tree. Uh, There are families of those children that are tutored each week um, who receive Christmas presents because of Green Tree. I mean, you guys pay for it. (laughs) You guys have provided for that. Um, There are um, AIDS victims in Boulder and Boulder County that are ministered to because of you. They're being cared for and loved because of Green Tree. Um, There are families who've been kicked out of their homes. Um, There are families who've uh, lost their way, who are homeless, that have apartments to live in in Boulder County um, that have been fixed up by Green Tree. You guys are there. You're doing this ministry. There's the Valley of Peace in Belize. Um, These um, El Salvador um, refugees who've been there and they're very poor. They've been trying to make a way for 20-some-odd years in Belize. And these children now have a school with sidewalks because of Green Tree. I mean, your your ministry goes beyond what's happening here in Kirkwood and and over in Columbia and what's going to be happening downtown. Boulder is being transformed, is being touched. A city of 2% evangelical Christians. Uh, We have every week seven community groups where about 80 to 90 people are being loved and cared for and learning about Jesus because of you. Uh, We have eight or nine undergrads and 13 grad students that that are learning about Jesus because of Green Tree. I mean, do you realize what you do with your generosity? And you're the most generous church I've ever seen. And so I just want to thank you. This morning, there are 110 people or so worshiping in Boulder that uh, send their greetings, and they're so thankful for you and your generosity. We would not be in Boulder if it wasn't for Green Tree Community Church, not just because of the experience, but because you opened up your wallets and you said, we value this. We want to plant churches. And you didn't care that we were going somewhere else to do it, and we want to thank you for that. And so I just want to encourage you as you say, we want to transform St. Louis
that you open up your wallets and you say, man, this is about giving to the kingdom. This is about kingdom work. And so I just, I thank you so much. I can't um, express that quite enough uh, this morning. Do we have our passage uh, up on the screen? Can you guys, there we go. Let's look at the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2. We're going to be looking at this passage, um, people having dinner with Jesus. Who's there? Who's hanging out with uh, this man that we say that we follow, this one that we say we love? Who is with him at dinner on this particular evening? Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through um, 17. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Let's pray. Father, thanks for uh, this passage of scripture that opens up to us the, the kind of father and the kind of um, son that you are, that Jesus loves so profoundly that he eats dinner with sinners. We come from all different walks of life. We have all different issues. We're broken in so many ways. Lord, would you open our eyes to see that we're the people you've come for and that when we begin to follow you, we're not all of a sudden just completely well and we don't need the physician, but we need you eating dinner with us constantly. We need to be with you and dine with you and sit next to you and have you heal us throughout our lifetime. And not just us, but those around us. But Lord, would you let us see our sin first? Let us see that it is us who need you. And only once we have learned that of our own brokenness and our own need for you, will we then reach out to others and tell them about your great love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What's wrong with the world? <clears throat> Just kick that around a minute. What's wrong with it? G.K. Chesterton was asked that question. The London Times sent um, him and oh, eight or nine other uh, philosophers and people that were thinkers of the day, of all different walks of life and all different spectrums of, of belief, agnostics and atheists, Christians and other religions. And they asked these people to write essays. They said, what is wrong with the world? And write an essay about it. And G.K. Chesterton wrote a letter back to the editor and said, Dear sirs, I am G.K. Chesterton. Now, do you think that G.K. Chesterton's the problem of the world, or do you see what he's saying? I mean, is your answer, when I ask that question, is your answer, I'm the problem? Or is your answer, well, it's those people, you know, up in Washington, they're the problem. Or it's the people in East St. Louis, or it's the people downtown, or it's the people out in rural America, or whatever it is. Or it's the people of a certain color, or the people of a certain religion. I mean, are you thinking, that's the problem with the world? <clears throat> or are you looking at yourself and saying, I'm the problem with the world? 
we had something amazing happen in Boulder. We, we had been there for a while, and we started these skeptics groups, and uh, we had a gathering of a little over 15, I want to say 15, 16, maybe 17 people. It was a third one that we had done, and um, the first night, <clears throat> I just asked this group of 12 to 13 atheists and agnostics in this group, and the other people were just somewhat skeptical and had some doubts about Christianity. And I said, what's wrong with the world? And within just a couple of minutes, probably 10 minutes, we'd gone around the room and each of them said, we are. Humanity. We're the problem. And I pushed a little further. I couldn't believe that was their answer, frankly. I'm like, this is too easy, you know. Um, I thought this was going to take 13 weeks, you know, to get that. And they said it the first week. And so I pushed a little harder and... Within five minutes, everybody in the room said, yeah, I'm the problem. I'm, I'm part of the problem. Is that your answer? Do you see that? I mean, if you were at this dinner with Jesus and you're reclining with him, would you be having the same kind of response as the people there? You know, standing around, kind of looking in. What is Jesus doing with those people, those kind of people? Or, or maybe you would say, I'm really glad Jesus is with those kind of people. <laughs> I'm glad he's there because they really need him. We're just going to stand over here and kind of watch and make sure no one gets out because they need to hear Jesus. I mean, is that, would that be your posture? Or, or do you look at this and say, man, I need to be at that table with Jesus because I'm the problem. Deb and I hadn't been in Boulder very long and... Um, we went to a Kinko's, and Deb said, hey, I'm just going to run in. I've got to make some copies. I'll be right out. And so I'm sitting there in the car, and this guy walks in front of the car with a box about as wide as this podium and just in, in, of square this size out to about here, full of files. So just sticking out of the top, you know, paper and files. And he's carrying it like this, and he walks down the, the walkway there, the sidewalk, and walks into Pearl Vision, and he goes into the door in Pearl Vision and then backs up. I'm watching this whole thing. He backs out of Pearl Vision, looks up like this, and then goes down to Kinko's. <laughs> He'd gone into the wrong store, and I'm thinking, wait a second, you, you actually need to go to Pearl Vision. You don't see what your problem is. You know, you think you need to go run some copies. You need to get some glasses. What are you doing going into Pearl Vision in the first place? You know, do we see that something's wrong with us? Do we see that we need a physician? That's who Jesus says he's come for. He has come for the sick. He has come for the sinners. He's come for people who, who need to be healed, and he comes for people and says, I'm your physician. The question for us today is, do we see that that's us, that that is our need? And so imagine this, as a pastor, I'm a preacher, I'm going to look at uh, three things today. Man, I bet you could have guessed that. Uh, Jesus breaks down barriers. He tells us the truth about ourselves, and he heals us. First of all, Jesus breaks down barriers. Who's at this dinner? What's going on here? Think, think about this crew. I mean, try to imagine yourself in this culture thinking the way they do about one another. We've got the scribes of the Pharisees. These are experts in the law of God. But they're not only experts in the law of God, they are experts in traditions of men. If the law of God didn't cover it, then we're going to add our own stuff, you know? 
And they're as good with the traditions of men, in fact, maybe better, because when God's word's just not quite clear enough for them, they're going to flesh it out. And so they build their own laws. And so these guys are experts in the law, and they copy scripture, and they take copious notes when someone's teaching, and they are just brilliant religious people. They're the elite religious people. And then there's the tax collectors. Now, these guys are in collusion with Rome. Rome has occupied this this country, and Rome is just painfully taking taxes out of the people, and they can't stand Rome. They hate them. They're oppressive. But Rome has is pretty smart. They hire people who understand the culture and these people, and they've hired people who are Jewish by birth. And these people then are the ones who go out and collect the taxes. And Matthew is one of these guys. But what they do, they collect Rome's taxes, and then they extort for their commission, (laughs) for their pay. They take extra, and so they are hated. They're working for the enemy, and you're extorting from us. You're taking more than we can afford. You're, You're just taking it out of our flesh. And these guys are wicked in their eyes, and they hate them. And then the sinners, this is just a technical term for outcast. It's people who have said, we're not going to follow the ways of the experts of the law. Scribes of the Pharisees, we don't give a rip about you. And they're, kind, and they're ostracized, not kind of ostracized. They are outside the margins, and, and they're not cared for, and they're not loved, even though they live in the same country and born in the, of the same Jewish nationality. And then there's the disciples that are here with Jesus, which Matthew has just become one of. Levi in this passage is Matthew, the, um, uh, the disciple. The difference here is, is just daylight and dark. You know, it, it's Mother Teresa and Bernie Madoff. I mean, it's, <clears throat> you know, how could you be more different, right? Just this person that you're just looking at, you're just like, that is evil. And then someone that we would look at and say, man, she was precious. She was amazing. Um, They're this far apart. That's how different these people are. They're polar opposites. And Matthew and his friends hanging out here, Matthew has been kicked out of his community. He can't go to the synagogue anymore. This guy is pariah. I mean, he's just, he's wicked. He's not welcome. He's outside the margins. He's, he's hated. And so he can't go to his worshiping community. He can't go to the, to the synagogue. And, and he can't even be a, a, a witness in a trial. If a trial comes up in the, in the Jewish courts, Matthew can't be a witness because he's a tax collector, for goodness sakes. He's a wicked sinner is who he is. And so this guy has been ostracized. And oddly enough, the one judge that matters the one judge that actually has the right to judge comes along and says, man, I love you. I want you to come follow me. Matthew, come and be with me. Come and hang out with me. Come be a part of my life. This is just shocking. The religious elite are listening to this, and they're thinking, what in the world is this guy doing? Who is Jesus? Who does he think he is? He can't be who he says he is because he's rubbing elbows with and he's hanging out with people who are notorious sinners. He's going to get dirty too. That's, that's what they're thinking. And it's not just come and follow me. Hey, Matthew, change your life. Come and follow me. Let, let, let me take you somewhere. He says, Matthew, I'm going to go to your house. 
And Matthew throws a conversion party. He's just so excited that this guy, Jesus, this one who is just blowing the countryside away with what he does, he clearly has power. He's clearly a man of God in Matthew's eyes. And this guy says, Matthew, I want you. I love you. And Jesus breaks with convention, not just to be provocative. So often I think sometimes I, we do things, and it just sounds so cool, but it sounds provocative, but this is flowing out of the heart of Jesus. I'm not just doing this to be provocative. This is who I am. I hang out with people that are very different than me. I love people that are different than me, and I don't demand they change before I hang out with them. And here is Jesus going to his home. Now, the fact of the matter is, if you're following Jesus, that's what he's done with you. Do you realize that? You're you're the sinners gathered around the table, right? I mean, that's what this is saying. That's what the gospel is. This is us. If you have said, I am going to follow Jesus, he has broken down the barriers to get to you. Do you know what he's, the, the trouble he's gone to? Do you know what it takes for a holy God to move into your life and say, I want to be your friend? That's what Jesus has done. He's broken down these barriers. He's breaking down barriers in Boulder. My guess is, and, and I, I, I promise you I'm not judging you right now, but my guess is some of you think, thank God. I'm not the one that has to be in Boulder. Thank God he chose that guy to go to Boulder because those people are the problem. That's possible you think that. Maybe you don't. I hope you don't. Boulder's not the problem. I'm the problem. I am. I show up in Boulder. What's the deal? You know, hey, I'm here to save you. Are you kidding me? I'm the problem. I've got the wicked heart. I'm the one who judges everyone. I'm the one who looks at people and thinks, man, you don't think like me politically? Are you kidding me? What, I'm going to be your friend and hang out with you? You smoke dope? I can't have lunch with you? You sleep around? I can't hang out with you? You're a drunk? You're an addict? I can't be with you? You make terrible sexual choices in your life? Come on, man, get cleaned up. No, I'm the problem. Jesus came for me. He's done the same thing for you. Right here in Kirkwood or DePere, wherever it is you live, Jesus has broken down barriers to get to you. You weren't okay. I'm not okay. Jesus broke down the barriers to be with us, and it's costly. For you guys to go to Lafayette Square and Soulard, it's costly. It's costly in so many ways, and, and, and money may be the least of it. Money may be the cheapest thing that you have to do. Having a heart that says, man, we love this city. I want to tell you, that is awesome. You have the heart of Christ. But don't fall into thinking, those people need to change before we show up. Don't fall into thinking, man, we're going to Lafayette Square because they're the problem. No. If we go down, let's go with some humility and let's say, you know what, we're just fellow problem makers. We're, We're all the problem. I'm just like you. I'm no different than you. My choices and some of the things in my life may look a little bit different, but I am absolutely no different than you. And when we earn the right to then share Jesus, it's this amazing thing. People begin to think, you know, 
I thought there was something different about you because all the Christians I've ever known demand that I come to them and that I kind of clean up a little bit and show up in their church. But you've come to me. Man, tell me about that Jesus again because this just this doesn't add up with the way I, my experience. Do you see what I'm saying? It's costly. We have to open our homes. Have your neighbors in for dinner. <laughs> Break down the barriers. You know, don't make them change before you hang out with them. Why? Because you're the problem, not them. And if we can have that kind of humility, all of a sudden we earn the right to then talk to other people who are fellow human beings who realize, man, something's wrong with me too. Help me out. Talk to me. Help me find meaning in my life. What are the barriers that you have up? <clears throat> Let me just run through a couple things here. Are they political barriers? You know? My, do you just hate hanging out with the Republicans? Oh, wait a second. I'm not in Boulder, am I? <laughs> I flipped my uh, grid there for a second. <clears throat> do you just hate hanging out with Democrats? You voted for that guy? Are you kidding me? You know, is it sexual choices? People who have sexual brokenness? You know, hey man, don't bring your partner with you. I'll hang out with you, but not at my house. I mean, what, what barriers do you have? Who is it that there's just kind of a sense of self-righteousness that, that you just love to hate? Jerem Bars asked that question my first year at seminary. Kirk, who do you love to hate? That's probably who you need to go to. Like, oh my gosh, I can't, I can't, I can't count them all, Jerem. <laughs> you know? Who do we love to hate? Well, Deb and I had been in Boulder for a little while. We hadn't started worshiping yet, so I was preaching at a local church, and the pastor invited us to his house after church. It was in a neighboring city uh, to have lunch. So we go over to his house for lunch, and a guy comes up to me, kind of corners me, and for 15 minutes, I kid you not, 15 minutes at least. This guy is just hammering Boulder. Because, you know, I don't know, you know, Boulder. I've been there only six months, and so I don't know all the evils of Boulder, is what this guy's opinion is. And so he just, you know, just rips through this list of problems in Boulder and what I need to be fearful of and what is wrong with Boulder and what an awful place it is to live. And by the way, it's the best place I've ever lived. It's unbelievable living there. But this guy needed to tell me all the dangers of Boulder. After about 15 minutes of just listening to this guy, I said, let me just ask you something, bro. Is there a chance, is there a chance you th that God might love Boulder? Yeah. Is there a chance that, that he may want to plant a church there that is for the people of Boulder? Is there a chance? And he said, yeah. I said, man, that's what I'm counting on because I'm just like them. And I want to go there, and I want to plant a church, and I want to love them well. Here's his parting shot. This guy's trying to encourage me, right? <laughs> Here's his parting shot. I wouldn't take my kids to Boulder to take a dump. And he walked off. Are you kidding me? A Christian wouldn't want to go to wicked, evil Boulder to take a dump? And that was, that was his take on, on our life and where we were. And I had to realize, you know, I've had to, to work at this just to be able to say, you know, man, these people are loved by God. 
and I'm the problem. It's amazing. He loves me. Do you see that you're the one that's sick? Do you see your own sickness? Before looking out at other people and calling all their sicknesses, do you see your own? That's really the question for us today. Well, the second thing, Jesus tells us the truth about ourselves. This part right here, I think, really rocks people at times because he, he makes a bold statement. He doesn't draw back. In verse 17, he says, I've come for people who are sinners. Now, that really rubs some people the wrong way. If, if you tend to be a moralist and, and kind of a, um, a person who, who really works hard to be good, you may say, get them, Jesus. You tell them. Because, yeah, you did come for sinners, those sinners. <laughs> but if you tend to be a relativist, which we have a lot of today, we really don't want a Jesus who hones in and kind of says, look, there's an objective standard. There is a right and a wrong. There, there, there is a, there's a right way to live and a wrong way to live, and I've come for people because every single person has chosen the wrong way to live. Every single person. And not many of us like that. We kind of want a Jesus who just doesn't really care how we live. He just wants to love us and leave us like that. Just be kind, gentle Jesus. A Jesus without a backbone, a Jesus without any sense of moral right and wrong. And Jesus doesn't give us that. The Bible doesn't give us that. You don't have a Jesus if you don't have one who says, there's a right and a wrong. And by the way, all of you are wrong. It's possible you're looking at this and, and thinking, well, he's really saying the Pharisees, they're not wrong. It's kind of like wink, wink. Hey, guys, um, I've come for those that need a position. You, you guys are fine. Just, just stay over there. We know that's not true. Jesus has had so many run-ins with the Pharisees. He's constantly telling them they're sinful and that they are wrong. It just so happens he uses a little bit of, of irony, maybe sarcasm here. His point is you are blind. You really need a physician. You have no clue what is really wrong with you. But I've come for those who recognize that they're sinners. That, that really is the point. Jesus says there's a right way and a wrong way, and all of you have broken it. All of you have fallen short, every single one, and I've come for you. I haven't abandoned you. I love you. But we want a God that um, is kind of comfortable with us. Let me ask you something. What kind of God doesn't give a rip about how you live? What kind of God worth serving and worshiping and following doesn't care about you and how you live? Any God worth following, any God worth saying, I'm going to submit to you, cares about how you live, cares about what you do and what your life looks like. But you know, in creation, God created us and he created us in his image, and since then, we have been trying to return the favor. Since then, we have been trying to create him in our image. But let me just mention something to you. Let me just run by this for just a moment. If you've created a God in your image, you have a God who has standards. They're yours. And what your life has proven to you is you can't even live up to your own standards. You realize that even by your own standards, something's wrong with me and I'm sick and I can't heal myself. Something has gone wrong with me. 
I, I, I don't really want people to see my interior, who I really am. I can't be me because I failed in some way. Even the gods we create hold us accountable. And ultimately, we become the judge. Jesus comes along and he says, look, you bunch of moralists, you bunch of folks who think, think you have it right, your self-righteousness is blinding you. And you folks here who've lived your life the way you've wanted to, you've lived it wrongly. You've fallen short. But I've come for you. The problem is you. Do we see that? David, King David, King of Israel, <clears throat> he had fallen into sin with Bathsheba. And the prophet Nathan comes to him. <clears throat> he tells him a story, a little parable. It says, David, there's a city where there are two men. <clears throat> it said one of them is extremely wealthy. He has lots of stuff, all kinds of herds, cattle, sheep. He's got it all, anything he wants. And there's one guy who has one little lamb, and he's raised it in his house as if it was his child. It ate at his table. It drank from his cup. It was like a daughter to him. And he cared for it and loved it. And David, a visitor came to town, and that rich guy went down to that poor guy's house, and he took his lamb, and he slaughtered it for his friend. And David is incensed. He says, that guy deserves to die, and he deserves to, he should pay back four times. And David is ticked, and he's ready to go get this guy and hang him. And Nathan says, you're the man. You're the guy. Do you see that you're the man, the woman? Do you see that Jesus looks at us and he says, you're not okay. You need me. Even once you begin following me, don't lose sight of the fact that, that you're still being healed. You still need me. You don't, you don't get to a point in your Christian life where you just break free and you're this autonomous Christian doing your own thing. Jesus says, no, I'm your physician. You need to be with me. Do you realize it's you? Well, what hope is there for us? Well, Jesus does indeed heal. Mark and Matthew's gospel, the way that this passage reads, it is pretty clear that Jesus is the host. It's Matthew's house. But Jesus is the one who's, who's the center of attention here. It's as if they've come to his house to eat. And that really is the hope for us, folks. Jesus, the bread of life, God in the flesh, he comes to us and he says, come to me. Come to me. I'm the meal you need. I'm the bread you need. I'm the wine you need. I am what you need for life. You, you will be emaciated. You may fill yourself with all kinds of stuff, but you are going to thin out and be emaciated without me. You're going to die. You're going to shrivel up. Come and eat with me. And he offers himself. Do you see that? Here is God reclining. He's lying on his side. And he says, come close to me. I'm what you need. Is that what you long for this morning? Are you tired of standing away and being the one that's just kind of a little bit bitter and a little bit angry and a little bit confused, constantly having to defend yourself and see other people as the problem? Are you just ready to say, I'm the problem? That's what Jesus invites us to do. 
And, and you have to be vulnerable to do that. There are risks in doing that. But as Christians, we have to do that all the time, don't we? Tom, in his prayer earlier, I mean, he said, we have chosen to walk away from you this week. We've chosen to do our own thing. And this morning, many of us, I'm guessing, you're probably like me, and you're thinking, man, I've got to see my brokenness again. I've got to see my sin again and my need for Jesus. And when that happens, when that penny drops, and it needs to drop thousands of times throughout the rest of your life, it takes us to a place where we say, now I'm ready to actually go minister to people in Lafayette Square because I see that I'm the problem. I mean, I'm the one who's walking along here that's broken. I'm just going to be a fellow sinner that goes to Lafayette Square and Soulard and goes down and invites people into my home, and I just relate to them. I don't have to sit and point fingers at them. People aren't running from Jesus at this dinner. They hang out with him. Why? Because they know they're loved. If people know that you love them, they know that you care, and they know that you have the humility to say, I'm the problem, it, just blow, it will blow you away. God will begin giving you opportunities to speak into other people's lives and say, man, here's what I'm finding to be true. Here's how Jesus makes a difference. I find that I am absolutely, I'm starving, and I actually find the meal I need when I come to Jesus. Are you ready to do that today? Let's pray.